Good morning. Really glad you're here with us this morning. We are launching a new message series that we're calling Time of Your Life. And in this series, we are going to look at uh, the Bible's perspective and then some real practical help that you find in the Bible for um, learning how to manage time and, and use it well. Uh, time is what our life is made of. We call it a lifetime. That's what we live. We live a lifetime. And so we're, we're going to dig into this and see what the Bible says about all that. Time is something that we rarely lose track of. We carry it around on our wrist. We have it on our cell phones. We check it several times a day. You're probably going to check it a few times while I'm speaking. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> See, how long is this guy going to go? Yeah. Uh, you're going to keep checking it. You're not going to lose track of it, more than likely. It's rare when we do. When you're a child, you lose track of time you know, on a regular basis. You're playing, you know, and the adults have to remind you, you know, it's time to do this or it's time to do that. Come in for dinner, whatever it is. As adults, we might lose our time, we might lose ourselves, lose track of time in, in a project or reading a novel or at a movie for a little bit, but we rarely lose track of time when, when we're older. In our culture, we, we always know the answer to the question, what time is it? In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to dig into uh, uh, an answer to what I think is a better question, and that is, what am I doing with my time? Not what time is it, but what, what am I doing with the time that I have? So today, we're going to focus on the fact that we as human beings have a limited amount of time, and we're going to look at the implications. You know, in the, I don't know if you've watched many Westerns, but I've seen some Westerns where the guy, uh, there's this, you know, a scene where uh, the good guy looks at the bad guy and says, your days are numbered. Ooh, you know, then, then the music starts playing and, you, and, you know, and I don't know if you know that, that, that actually, that, that's a reference to a scriptural perspective on time. All of our days are numbered. All of them are, are limited. And so it's wise to live in that context. And so to gain God's perspective on time from the Bible we're going to learn from one of the Bible's most famous characters this morning, Moses. Um, we, we've all probably heard of him. And before we dig into a prayer that he, he prayed and is written down in Psalm 90, he wrote Psalm 90. I didn't know. Most, many of us may not have known that. But he wrote that psalm. It's a prayer he wrote in the middle of what was going on his, in his life at the time. So I would like to give you the backstory as to what led up to this point in his life and what's going on at that particular time, because it'll, it'll help us understand what he's trying to say as he prays this prayer, what he's praying about. And so here are some facts about Moses' life that, that show why he has a lot to say to us about time. First of all, he wasn't supposed to live past the day he was born. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had sent out a command that all of the Hebrew boys who were born would be killed. And so he, he only is alive because the midwives were disobeying the king's orders. And there's some uh, amazing events. There's an amazing chain of events that happened that allowed Moses to live and grow up 
in the Pharaoh's household. You can read about it in Exodus. Pretty amazing. But he, he survived the day of his birth, and he was raised in the king's household. So that's pretty amazing. One day, though, when Moses, Moses grew up in his late teens or early 20s, he comes across uh, an Egyptian man who was mistreating a Hebrew slave horribly. And Moses, at this time, probably realized, well, I'm Hebrew. That's not right. And he gets angry, and he kills the Egyptian guy. Pharaoh gets word of this. Moses has to run for his life. And he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. So, and he's around 20, remember, so 40 of his best years... He's a shepherd in the wilderness. After having grown up in the king's household, he's out there as a shepherd. Forty of his best years in, in the wilderness as a shepherd. At the end of this time, at the end of the 40 years, God came and spoke to Moses, and he gave him instructions to go back to Egypt and to just point by point follow God's instructions. He was to go back to Egypt, and lead the Hebrew people out of slavery. And God did some amazing things. There's movies about this. You've probably seen a couple of them. I mean, they've, they've done movies. The, the events were so miraculous and so dramatic that they make a great movie as you watch what God did there. So all of that happens, and God leads the people. To, this is two and a half to three million people at the time. Hebrew slaves. That's why the Pharaoh got intimidated and threatened by the Hebrew people because they were growing in number and he was going to take out the, the men so that he would, he would sort of control the population of the Hebrew people. And so that's why all that happened. So two and a half, three million people. Moses goes back. He leads them out of slavery. They get to the edge of the promised land and some things happen that we'll look at in a little bit that kept Moses from entering the promised land. And so... Here he is when he starts praying this prayer, and when he prays this whole prayer, he is wandering around the wilderness, the desert of Paran, with two and a half to three million people. And he's in charge. He's, he's the leader of these people. Moses' life, it was full of some incredible highs and some incredible lows, just like yours and mine. I mean, we have some really good stuff goes on, and we have some really tough things that happen, and... In the midst of Moses' life, he had a friendship with God, and God gives him some incredible perspective on time that we really need. So here, here's the first thing he says uh, about time. He says, uh, seeing life from God's point of view gives us the right perspective. That's, that's the first thing you get out of Moses' prayer here in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, 1 through 6, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Moses starts out his prayer by giving us the larger framework for our lives. He, he gives the context in which we live, and it's huge. First of all, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. In other words, generations of people have come and gone, but you have been a strong refuge for those who trust in you. You're always there. People come and go. But God, you're right there. You're, you've always existed. Before the mountains were born, 
For you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Now, mountains were considered at this time as the first and most permanent thing on the earth. And so what, what this is saying is, before time, God, you existed. You were there. In fact, he says, from everlasting <clears throat> to everlasting, you are God. And what he means is, from the unlimited past to the unlimited future, you exist. You, you are there. That's, that's the perspective that, that Moses starts with. Verse 3, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in, in the night. In other words, compared to God, who is eternal, even a long life on earth, say 100 years, 110 years, it's like yesterday when it's over. It, it moves quickly. It, it goes, it's, it's just, it's over. A day is 24 hours. A watch, he says, even like a watch in the night. A watch is three or four hours. They used to divide. If you're, if you're guarding the sheep at night or doing a military guard, they would di- divide the night into sections. And, you know, one watch, you, you would be on for three or four hours, then you'd change, change hands. So a watch is three or four hours. From God's point of view, it hasn't even been a weekend since Jesus lived on the earth. And, and God is watching the events of history unfold like they were the events of the last thousand years, like a three or four hour movie. And this is his perspective. This is what's going on. He's watching the generations come and go. He's from everlasting to everlasting. This is the context of our lives. God is watching things take place. And his vantage point is incredible. Verse 5, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Now, if you just read this, you get sort of depressed, don't you? I mean, it's, it's a little, your days are numbered. It's a little depressing. Um, the point is not that we should throw up our hands and freak out because we only have a few you know, days left to live or our days are numbered. He's... He's also not saying that we are worthless like the clippings after we've mowed the grass. That's, that's not what he's saying at all, because as you get in Scripture, you find out people are very valuable to God, very important to him. And he, he loves us like we are. What he is saying is this. The point he is trying to make is that our lifetime is so short that you cannot find meaning in who you are or what you're doing alone. That's, that's what he's saying. The only hope that we have for finding meaning in life and purpose in this life is to turn to the one who made us and live within the context of the one who is everlasting to everlasting. He's the bookends of history. He's before history. He's after history. He, he provides the context. And so if I make this life all about me, it's not enough. It, it really isn't. Because in the broad scope of history, we don't live long enough to be the main characters in the story. 
We just don't. And if we don't get this, then life is very frustrating. Now, when we're young, we think that we're the center of the world, don't we? I mean, that's kind of goes with the territory, the toddler territory, maybe on up through the teens, maybe maybe beyond that. <laughs> but we, we tend to think we're the center of the world. What God is telling Moses and what Moses is trying to tell us is that um, we aren't the main attraction in this world. The only way to find meaning is to put God at the center of our lives. We find hope for purpose in life in the context of what God is up to, in the grand story of history that he's writing as he oversees it. When we put God in the center of our lives, that's when things begin to come together. That's, that's when life begins to gel. And so he goes on and he says, Trusting God is the key to making the most of our time and our lives. And for you, before I read the passage, the scripture I, I tied to this point, I, I want to give you a little more of the backstory because I don't think the point's going to make sense if I just read the passage. So I'm going to give you a little more of what was going on. As I mentioned, God used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, and he planned, his intention was to lead them directly into the promised land. That's just the land of Canaan that he had promised to give to Abraham years, hundreds of years before Moses started leading them out. But he planned to lead them directly into the promised land. But when they arrived at the edge of the promised land, at a place called Kadesh Barnea, the men refused to keep going. So they get to the edge and the men refuse to keep going. God tells them to keep going. They refuse to keep going. They rejected God's plan and refused to trust him and obey him. And so God decided that the price of this rebellion was a four-decade delay. So what he did was they wandered around in the wilderness, the people of Israel, the Hebrews. They wandered around in the, in the, in the wilderness, the desert of Paran, for 40 years so that every man who was over 20 at the time they made that decision would die off. And then those men younger than 20 would lead the charge into the promised land after that. So that's what's going on when Moses is praying this prayer. And, and we can see kind of where some of his comments are coming from. Moses, when he wrote this psalm, he was in the middle of the desert with two and a half million people that he led out of slavery, yet who had re refused to keep obeying God. And they refused his plan, God's plan, in rebellion. So this is what's going on when Moses says this, Psalm 90, 7 and 9, through 9. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. And, and this is, you know, God is not an angry God. I don't know what you've heard about God. God's very gracious God, very kind and loving. But this anger that he, Moses is referencing is a justified anger. I mean, it, isn't it right when you've been made by someone to do what they told you to do? It is right. It's like if you're a parent, you, you know this kind of anger. If you're a parent of a child over two, <laughs> you've experienced this kind. You're only trying to help. But they get snotty 
and they come back at you, and they refuse to cooperate, and they're throwing things all over their room, and they, oh, it's no fun. That, that's the kind of anger. I mean, you get angry. Now, what you do with that anger is pretty important. You need to con- control yourself. Okay, and God obviously does that. But that's the kind of anger. It's like the anger when a friend, you, you've only been trying to help a friend, but they come back at you, they blow up, they misunderstand, they, they accuse you wrongly or whatever of, of something when you're just, you're just trying to help. You know, th- that's a situation where it's right to be angry, and that's the kind of anger that Moses refers to here. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities, our sins, before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan, with a sigh. And he says this because this is what's going on. He's just waiting to die. Moses himself had a reaction that DQ'd him from going into the promised land. And so that's, that's what's going on. They're, they're just waiting because they're paying a price for their rebellion. Actually, God says, I will forgive you. I will forgive you for what you've done, but here are the consequences. This is, this is the price that's got to be paid. When I was young, I used to read these stories. I grew up in, in a church, and I used to read these stories, and I, I would look down on the Hebrews for this kind of stuff. And I'd think, what is their problem? I mean, they were there when God did all this incredible stuff to get them out of slavery in Egypt. And, and I'd say, what is their deal? God has done some amazing things. And then... As I got older, I began to realize I'm just like them. I've done the same thing. God has been kind to me. He's given me life. He's done all kinds of good things on my behalf in this life that I have. But I want to use it for my own selfish purposes. I've done that. I can identify with them, and we've all done this. Rather than seeking God and living life the way that he wants us to, according to his plans, we've been independent and stubbornly refused to, to let him rule our lives. So what that means is the first step to making the most of our time and our lives is to get things straightened out with God. That, that's what that means. And we make, things with, we make things right with God by acknowledging Him as, first of all, Creator. Acts 17, I'm not going to read it, but it says that God put us on the earth. He gave us life and breath and everything. And He wants us in our lifetime to search for Him and find Him. That, that's what He hopes our existence brings. He he wants us to look for him. And he actually pursues us, Scripture says. He shows us himself. We can see him. We can see his evidence of his existence in in the creation. And he wants that to draw us toward him. And so, as it is today, uh, at least in our country, there used to be more of a, hey, there is a God, we believe God. But the first step that we don't want to skip is acknowledging that God exists, first thing. And then, the next thing is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior. This is how you connect with God. 
This is how you make things right with him. Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have rebelled, just like the Israelites in Kadesh Barnea. It's, and it's only right, though, for, for those who have been made by someone, by God, to live according to his plans. But, but we haven't, and so we need to admit that. God is hoping that the, the frustration and the emptiness that we feel from living life apart from him, he's hoping that that draws us back toward him. Because his intent in our lives is for us to, to enjoy it and live it to the full. He wants it to be full and enjoyable. That's what he wants. So he's hoping the frustration we experience puts us on that search to find him and connect with him. And then finally, to make things right with God, we acknowledge him as ruler. You can look those verses up yourself, but Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, to get right with God, we must make him the Lord or ruler of our lives. If we turn to him and trust him, we find his blessing. But just like the Hebrews uh, in the wilderness We've refused faith in God at the outset, and he's gracious, he's kind, he wants to draw us back into a friendship with him. If we refuse faith in God, we miss the most important opportunity of our lifetime. That's why it's a part of the perspective we need for making the most of life. We want to connect with God and know the one who made us, and then we're ready to use use uh, time, and make the most of our lives. We learn from the last part of Moses' prayer. I'm going to shift to the last, the very last part. We learn from it that learning to count our days puts us on track to live wisely. Verses 10 through 12 say this. They say, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. There it is again, that perspective. We, we quickly pass. Life is going by. We have a limited amount of time. Um, this is a theme in the Bible, and we do well to understand this. I was listening to a lecture by a man named John Taylor Gatto, Gatto and he is, he's been doing some research, a lot of research. He's done a, a lot of work on education what is an education? Actually, the, the lecture I was listening to was called What is an Education? And in this lecture, he lists the key things that people need to learn in order to be educated from, from his perspective. And before he gets to his perspective, he talks about the 20 elite um, prep schools in America that people pay a lot of money to send their children to. He lists the things that they want their children to gain from being in the school. Near the top of the list is good manners uh, on that list. Kind of interesting because good manners will open doors for you in, in places as you relate to people, but that's, that's beside my point here. <laughs> but on John Taylor Gatto's list, he says one of the things we need to teach our children is the reality of aging and death. And he makes this point. If you think you're going to live for 50 million years, today really isn't very important. And that, that's exactly right. Boy, 
today is one of a billion if I'm going to live that long. It's really not that important. That's, that's the same perspective that you gather from Scripture, and that's what Moses is saying. That's his perspective. Today really does matter because we have a limited amount of time. Then he goes on and he says, Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Now that, that may not immediately make sense to you, and I want to give you sort of a modern translation of that Hebrew sentence, not because I came up with it. I have a lot of cheats. I took Hebrew in graduate school, but I don't really have to read Hebrew now because I can cheat. I have all these helps, these things that help me. But I want to give you a translation of what he's saying in that sentence, uh, since the Hebrew is pretty tough to, to translate. Here's, here's really what this, this phrase means in the context that it's given. If we could see God as he really is, then we would give him the reverence that's due him. That, that's what it's saying. If we could really get a glimpse of his glory, we would give him our 70 or 80 years. We would, we would live for him. Now, on Mount Sinai, Moses went up on Mount Sinai. He, he met God. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He came back down. When he came back down, he was sort of glowing like, like being radioactive. He was So Moses, as much as any person on the face of the earth, had seen uh, just a glimpse of God's glory. And he, he knew that we, we really, if we could just get an idea of who God really is, boy, we would give him our 70 or 80 years. And then he says in verse 12, this is the last verse in the, in the psalm, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this is a prayer because we need God's help to do this. We don't normally do this. It's not native to us where we start counting our days. This, this word gain, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, in the Hebrew it's an agricultural term, and what the idea is, it's, it's when you bring in the crop that you've planted, when you bring in the fruit or you harvest the crop. And the idea is if we learn to number our days the right way, then we'll bring in a harvest of good choices and good decisions about life. If I learn to count down my days the right way, we all do countdowns, don't we? I mean, talk to somebody who's getting married. Talk to the bride. She can, she can tell you how many days, hours, minutes till the wedding is supposed to launch. It's probably going to be late. But she knows when it, the time it's supposed to start. Countdown. We count down all the time. Weddings, exams. I got this exam. I got to get ready for it. Surgeries, presentations, whatever it is, deadlines. We count down to deadlines all the time. And so Moses is saying, if we do the right countdown on life itself, then I'm going to, we're going to do uh, better in handling life. We'll make better decisions about our relationships. We'll, we'll handle them more wisely. We'll make better decisions about our finances. We'll have a better approach to parenting. We'll handle our career 
in a better way. We'll do our schooling more wisely if we understand the limited amount of time we have. When we put the details of our life in the right perspective, in the right context, that God is from everlasting to everlasting, and we are a part of what he's doing on earth, then we see people within that context. We see our money within that context. We see the opportunities that we have from that perspective, our talent, and so on. Life comes into clear view as we choose the perspective of Scripture. This is how we find purpose and meaning in life beyond the day of our birth and the day of our death. We turn to the one who made us, who promises us eternal life through Jesus Christ. We turn to him and we look at life through his perspective. You and I fit. We fit in the context of what God is doing in the generations. This is a crucial perspective if we're going to make the most of our lives. We, we really have to get a grip on that, and that's why Moses prayed this prayer, and that's why God put it there for us to check out 3,500 3, years later after that, which is like three and a half days or, you know, maybe 12 hours. <laughs> that's the way it is. We're going to receive our offering in a few minutes, and before I do that, I want to give you the opportunity uh, to consider what are my next steps after hearing this message, after working through this passage of Scripture? What are some next steps that I can take, some ways that I can respond? We always put these at the end of messages because as you hear the truth and you obey it, then your understanding opens up as you take steps toward uh, doing it. Uh, the first step that I've suggested, you may have others, is to memorize Psalm 90:12. Teach us to number our days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom, or that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Second step could be every day this week, at the very beginning of every day this week, I will pray, Father, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom and fulfill your purpose for my life. Every day this week, this sometime before breakfast, during breakfast, after breakfast, you're going you're gonna to pray that prayer. Ask for wisdom. God, give us that heart. I want to bring in the, the wisdom, a heart of wisdom from counting my days rightly. And then finally, uh, maybe you're ready for the first time to make things right with God. You've been investigating what it means to follow Christ, and you're ready to make that decision to follow him. Um, you, you may be checking him out. You may have questions that need to be answered. But we've provided in the program, there's a, a little card, it's about a quarter of a page, and it, it outlines what it takes to connect with God through Jesus Christ. Very, very simple. It's how to establish a spiritual base for your life. And if you want to know more about Christ, those are the things that you need to believe and the things that you need to do in order to connect with God um, through Christ. And so, I would encourage you, if you're still investigating what it means to follow Christ, that is a great summary. It's, it's very easy. It's easy to understand, but Jesus wants us to give our lives to follow him. So understanding is important. We're going to give our lives to something. And so 
We've given you that so you can look at that base card, we call it. You can check that out. If you're ready, though, to go ahead and follow Christ, I encourage you, just let us know. We'd love to know that, and we'd like to pray with you, and we'd love to get you anything to help you in that new friendship with God. Would you pray with me as the band comes up to lead us? Father, we thank you for the truth we find in your word, for the help that you give us, and the perspective that we gain uh, from looking at the truth about life, about you, about life. And, and I pray that you would, you would really help us to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to take this morning. I pray that you really would teach us to, to number our days so that we could have wisdom and live life well. To bring honor and glory to you, the one who made us, and to find the joy and uh, the fulfillment that you want, the meaning that you intend for us, God. We ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship God with our offering. Sing with us.